change around my team, yeah, we off the leash. You can look us in the eyes and see we have peace. Black and gold, that's the colors when we go to war. When we step up on that field, you go hear my roar. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. Yeah, nobody hitting harder. Better keep your guard up, cause with everything we drop, we can score it when we wanna. Welcome to a very jubilant episode of Podskiwiwi. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Mike, this is, uh, this is a fun one. We get to talk about a playoff victory, which is always nice. We're going to be talking about an Eastern final against the Argos, which you and I have actually never talked about on the show. The last time these two teams met in the East final was 2013 before we started doing this. It's also an, an, a matchup in the Eastern final that I think I saw we've only had eight times in CFL history. So despite these two teams being bitter rivals, the, the playoff matchups are, are few and far between. But we'll get into that in a second. We still have, obviously, the game to cover from last Sunday, Hamilton dominating the Owls, winning 23-12. to But we're going to start with something a little light today. Last week, on our 200th episode, I had to open the show by talking about all the things I liked about Ottawa, the Red Blacks, their fans, our nation. And it, it made me sick to my stomach. I didn't like to do it. But I did it. I'm a man of my word, and I did it, and I stand by what I said. This week, though, on episode 201, we get to kind of reverse it, and we get to mock and ridicule the Ottawa Red Blacks. Did you see the tweet they sent out on Monday about supporting the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in the rest of the playoffs? I did. I did. It was. Uh, I kind of got taken back by it uh, when I first saw it. I didn't know what the hell was going on, but. Uh... Yeah, they got quite a bit of backlash for that one, didn't they? Yeah, they they changed their logo, the R in the Red Blacks logo. They changed it to the Riders Green. They said, "Our nation has spoken, and we are going to, we are now a Rough Riders Stan account or whatever it was." And there's some historical difference. Like, there's reasons historically why you know Ottawa football fans wouldn't entirely be happy with this. Uh, the big one being that when the Red Blacks were coming back, one of the conditions put forth by Saskatchewan was that they couldn't be allowed to be called the Rough Riders. And which I agree with. Which, which, yeah, agree which with. It, whether you agree or disagree, it, it is what it is. Um, I still think Red Blacks is a dumb name, but you kind of get used to it, so you don't really care anymore. Right. But at least we don't have two. I know that they're spelled, there's a hyphen or there's space <laughs> between, but you know. It just looks, it's just another thing to add to the, did that. Did that yeah. bug you that much? It's just silly. I mean, it's just like nine team league with two teams, the same name. I know that in, in like college football, there's, there's oh, you son of a bitch. You, oh, you same. took my but talking there, point like right from underneath you bastard. Hundreds of college teams. There's not nine. You know what I mean? And I, it's I, just another thing for the people that don't like the CFL to point at and be like, oh my God, what a joke of a league. Okay. You know I mean? Okay. Okay. But. If you look at the SEC, it's one conference in college. There's 14 okay. teams. I think three teams are called Tigers. There's Missouri. Fair enough. There's LSU, and maybe it's just two. 
But oh, oh no, the Kentucky's the Wildcats. That's the yep. one that everyone always talks about. When Kentucky and Arizona ever playing like the NCAA tournaments, like the Wildcats versus the Wildcats. They make a joke about <laughs> it on The Simpsons. Who are we? The Wildcats. Yeah. Who are we going to beat? The anyway, I. Yes. We're getting off topic a little bit. I'm, I don't – if they would have been called the Rough Riders, cool. If they wanted to be called something else, cool. But I mm. understand Ottawa fans being kind of upset that they were basically told, no, you can't have this. First, despite right? the fact – despite the fact that for like three-quarters of a century, there were two teams called Rough Riders. And, yeah, you got the, the occasional joke in, in the States. But, like, who really cares? Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. to, to be – I don't know. I, I can understand why that would probably irk uh, Red Blacks fans. And then just like the the history between the two teams, like Saskatchewan beat Ottawa to win their first Grey Cup. Um, I, I think I read a piece. Actually, I think Santino from Three Down, my colleague at Three Down, wrote a piece about this. And I think he mentioned that it was the Riders who were like the deciding vote on whether they were going to continue to support the Renegades, and they said no. And then they took a bunch of. Renegades players in the dispersal draft and won the Great Cup. So, like, that kind of pisses off people from Ottawa. So, like, this just feels, I think, ill-advised. And just, like, you talk about people thinking the CFL is a joke. Could you imagine this in any other sports league? Like, could you imagine, let's use this as an example. The Montreal Canadiens made a run to the Stanley Cup Finals last year. Could you imagine if the Maple Leafs Twitter account changed their colors to red, white, and blue and said, we're now cheering for the for the Habs, or vice versa. Well, they did light up the CN Tower in Habs colors. But that's just, that's going. the city. You, you, that that wasn't the team. The team and it's did. a Canadian National Tower or whatever. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. No, but you're complete. You're completely right. The Dallas Cowboys wouldn't wouldn't put know, the New York stick. Giants colors in their logo and say we're cheering for the Cow. Never. It, never would never no. happen. Like the, it was it was just a bad idea. And then to see the backlash, and then to see kind of the backlash to the backlash, where people were like, "Why are you taking it so seriously?" To me, it's like. I don't know if, if 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 Hamilton loses on Sunday, and the Ticats would have said we're we're changing our colors to the double blue, and we're going to cheer for Toronto in the Grey Cup. I would throw up in my mouth. Absolutely. Like I, I just, I don't know. It, it it's uh it's one of those things that like I know people say like only in the CFL certain things happen. This feels like kind of an only in the CFL thing, doesn't? Like does this feel like being too nice? Like, you know how Canadians have the reputation of being too nice? Like, does this does this feel like that, too? Like, you don't have to – like, hate I, – I, we talked about this. I like when teams hate each other. I like when players dislike each other. Yep. Like, I want more of that. I don't want this lovey-dovey, huggy crap. I want dislike. And you're – yeah, you're right. It kind of speaks to that, doesn't it? You know, it's like – because we mentioned it. It would never happen in any other league because the rivalries and the hatred is just so deep. Um, and you have that in the CFL with, you know, the Ticats and the Argonauts, a prime example. But, um, yeah, I just I just don't – they were trying to be cute or whatever, and mm-hmm. it just backfired on them. Yeah, I think they are trying to get engagement. Maybe they were maybe they were doing it to get the hate, the hate clicks. You know what I mean? Like maybe they were doing it so people would just respond and give them a bigger profile. I – I don't know. This this I mean they they talk about this CFL family stuff and how everyone likes everyone and I don't know. I think you can take that a little too far sometimes. Like I I watch sports because I want my team to win and I want the other. I've said this countless times. If if it was ever possible, I would love the CFL season to finish with the Ticats 18 and 0 and every other team 0 and 18. I know it's not mathematically possible, but that is what I would like to see. Like I don't ever want to see any other team win. I feel that way in most others, especially the CFL because of how many teams there are. I feel that way in a lot of other sports too, but you, you know, you, you, 
especially with fantasy sports, you like you learn to like kind of love other players and other teams. Um, but in, when it comes to CFL, man, like I want the Ticats to win every year, and I want no other team to win, and I I will not cheer for another team to win. Like I, it mm. just feels it's I don't know. It was, it, to me, it was a bad look. It was just dumb, and uh, I think it was just it, it was a nice palate cleanser for me personally, getting to shit on them for something <laughs> they did, as opposed to having to be nice about it. Now, do you think that, uh, you know, the friendly atmosphere around the CFL is because that there's not as many young fans who can act like douchebags and, you know, rile up each other and all that stuff? you think that the older fan base is just like, you know, they're calmed down? <laughs> I don't know, man. Have you seen my Twitter mentions sometimes? There's, <laughs> if they're uh, all older, there's yeah. a lot of douchebags, older douchebags yeah. out there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm sure right you've, there, you've okay. gotten it too. Where I'm yeah. not alone in this. So, I don't yeah. know. I don't think age has anything to do with being... Because well, here's say? the thing. All these older people were at one point, And this is always what kills me about, like, the CFL's dying because our fan base is all over 50. Well, at some point, those 50-year-olds were 30. Like, I think we mentioned this before when they were talking. I think earlier in the year, they were talking about, like, the demographics of who watches the CFL. And it's, like, males over 50. And it's like, okay, but those males over 50 don't pick up the game at 50. You know what I mean? I just right. think that – you know what I honestly think? I think social media has made people – like – I'll say this, before Twitter, I didn't hate the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Like, I would never I would never consider any team a second favorite team. I think that's ludicrous. But I never I always thought of the right they're a small market team, kind of like Hamilton. Mm-hmm. There's a rabid fan base. They were likable. Yeah. They won the Great yeah. Cup in 07. I was like, oh, that's awesome. Like they had yeah. played like 80 Fantus played there. I really like 80 Fantus. I liked Kerry Joseph. I remember when Kerry Joseph had they had the skills competition here in Hamilton, watched Kerry Joseph throw a ball like 85 yards in the air. It was awesome. Um, but then social media kind of like, it brings everyone together. And I feel like people either because it's like written and not spoken, sometimes the sarcasm's lost a little bit. Um, people take it like literal when you say something on, on social mm. media, I think that it's, it's brought people together, but also you, you see the underbelly of it as well more. Cause like you're anonymous in, in a lot of cases, like you and I have essentially, like, I mean, you don't have your full name on there, but you. You also yeah, do people this. Know so, who it is. I, I say my name at the start of every. Yeah, it's, well, exactly. Exactly. You're not hiding who you are. You're not like, you know, I'm not hiding. Anything. Yeah. Like, even though your Twitter account's Mike Tycatch, you're, it, that's still your name. Your name's not like Jeff Green. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you're, not, you're not pretending to be someone you're not. And you stand beside, behind everything you say anyway. And if, if tw- I'm sure if Twitter was like, you can't have pseudonyms as your name, you would just take your name. Like, I think on mm-hmm. Instagram, your name's your name. So, like, you know what I mean? But there's some people out there who just hide behind the anonymity of it. And. I think that breeds sort of like if I don't have to back up what I say, I can say whatever I want. It kind of leaves a sour taste in people's mouth. And then there's the opposite of that where people become so friendly because they're on social media and they think that they're like best buddies. And I say that not even tongue in cheek, like you and I became friends through social media, Facebook and Twitter. And so it's, it's not, I'm not saying it's necessarily a bad thing, but I do think that it, there's something to like the social media era of sports at least with, pardon me, at least with the CFL is concerned, because I'm not really involved in any of the other, like, leagues. Like, you know how they say, like, oh, it's CFL Twitter. I'm more into that because more of the people I follow are A, Canadian, B, CFL fans. That's the reason I signed up for Twitter was for CFL stuff. So it makes kind of sense that that's the majority of my timeline. And I just feel like people are kind of afraid. I don't know if it's to offend or hurt feelings or they think that they're buddy-buddy, so it's got to all be nice. I, I don't know. It just, it's... It, it just feels like there's been I, – I, I don't want to say a softening because I, I like the fact that I go to Ticats games and don't have to worry about people getting beat up. 
Like I always mm-hmm. thought, like as a kid, you think, oh, that's awesome. And then you grow up, you're kind of like, that's freaking stupid. Like it's a football game. Like why are we fighting at a football game? Yeah. Like just don't, if you're getting that riled up about it, you probably shouldn't be watching sports. But I, I, I just think that social media has kind of, it, it's brought in both because I think the advent of social media has made me go, I kind of hate the riders. Like their fans are annoying and we'll talk about some stuff that their fans have done just recently when it came to uh, the aftermath of the West semi. And then it's also, you kind of get to know people and you're like, well, they're a fan of another team. And I do, I dislike that team, but I like this guy and I don't want to be too, you know what I mean? So it's kind of like a little bit of both, I guess. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, the, uh, quote unquote, uh, you know, douchebags come out in force on Twitter and I'm the same way with you, you know, you mentioned the 2007 Grey Cup, and I was at that game, and uh, I was cheering for the Riders, and I was yeah. happy when they won. Um, but yeah, and, and I went to the festivals, and uh, you know, I thought it was great hanging out with Rider fans. They were all super nice, and you know, there were so many of them there, and you know, they, they all just loved the CFL so much. And before social media, you know, I craved that. You know, I couldn't talk to anybody about the mm-hmm. CFL really before the um, creation of Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff. So uh, it has changed. Um, a lot of opinions about certain fan bases for sure. Yeah, it's uh, it's good. It's bad. It's I don't know. It's it's just, it's the world. It's, we guys got to adapt, yep. right? Um, all right. Enough about the Red Blacks. Enough about the Riders. Enough about our thoughts on social media. Let's talk about this game that happened. Not a great game. I think is that fair to say? Like I don't think it was necessarily a a, a good football game. But the Ticats won, so that's all that really matters, right? Yeah, it wasn't a classic, but. Uh... You know, I could watch that second quarter over and over again. That's for sure. Yeah, and I and, and if you just told me to watch the defense, I would have. That was, mm-hmm. and and this is a conversation I had leaving the game with my friends. To me, this wasn't poor offense. It was great defense. Like you know how there's always that. Well, if you don't like, you don't like low scoring games. You don't like football. We heard that all year because of the low scoring in the CFL. I don't think what the Ticats did to the Owls was the Owls playing poorly offensively because we saw what they looked like in the first quarter. Trevor Harris was was throwing dimes. Like they were they were pardon me, they were moving the football. But the Ticats defense, it almost felt like there were two turning points for the defense. Jagarrett Davis's hit on William Stanback, I think it was second and goal from like the three. Yes. That forced the field goal. And then the first fumble recovery. Like those two things seem to like light a spark under the defense's ass as if they were all saying collectively, we will not allow us to lose this game because that fumble recovery sparked that second quarter that you talked about where they outscored Montreal 20 to nothing and basically ended the game uh, right then and there. This was maybe one of the most impressive defensive performances I've seen live, especially in a playoff game. I remember there was, they blew out the BC Lions in the East, I think it was 2018. They blew out BC in the in the East uh, East semi, and I think it was like fifty to eight or something. But what we saw the defense do against an MOP caliber, uh, I mean, not even MOP caliber, the the division's MOP William Stanback, and what they did to Trevor Harris, where Harris starts good, and I wonder if my my talking of last week where I said, well, Harris in that first playoff game tends to play pretty good, kind of got you worried a little bit, and then they just completely beat the living tar out of him for the rest of the game. It was maybe one of the most impressive defensive performances I've ever seen from this team. in such a big moment too. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> you know, that first quarter I mentioned to you, I mentioned it to you before we started recording that I got a little nervous because I think Trevor Harris started six of six or five of six. And he just like, he looked like he was on fire again. And mm-hmm. we've seen that in the playoffs before. And uh, it had me a little bit worried, but uh, when that second quarter hit, 
it just seemed like the defensive line just woke up and everybody was getting to him. You know, Dylan Wynn in the middle, uh, Garrett Davis on the outside, Hauser was was getting in on the action too. Um, you know, one of the best performances I've seen from a defensive line this year. Yeah, it was... They dominated Montreal's front five, and they... And they're not they're not a bad group either. No, no. I mean, William Stanback doesn't rush for a thousand yards because he's he's singularly great. He is a singularly great player, but if there's not holes there, he's not. There's nowhere to go anyway. So they have a decent offensive line, and the Ticats made him look like a high school team. Like yeah. Dylan Wynn and Jagger Davis almost single handedly decided we're not losing this football game. Like this, you look at Dylan Wynn's stats. He only had one tackle, but he has two sacks, two forced fumbles, and a fumble recovery. And Garrett Davis has, he had three tackles, but he had, one of them was a tackle for a loss. He also had two sacks, a forced fumble, and I believe, did he have a fumble recovery as well? No, but he had a pass knockdown. And he had the big, the tackle for loss was a big one on Tibbeck. It's like those two guys, if they set the tone for the defense, and I think they did, because they're they're the two, I mean, the, the Teddy Laurent's obviously a, a big guy on the defense, but those two guys... When they come to play, this defense is really hard to get yards on and definitely score on. Mm-hmm. Against the run, it's just, um, you know, we talked about the defensive line getting to Trevor Harris, making him, you know, and that's the thing we talked about in last week's show, you know, get him off his game, mm-hmm. pressure him, and that's exactly what happened. Yeah, that first and, that first sack fumble, mm-hmm. from then on, Harris was, it was, it was out of it. Because then how many, what did he have? I think he had four total fumbles and lost three of them, and threw an interception. Like, that yeah, second quarter was a complete worked. meltdown for the Owls offense. And it was yeah, all because was, the defense was, was making plays. Yep, he was nervous after that. And, uh, you know, we talk about the defensive line, and obviously the linebackers had a part in this too. But William Stanback, the most outstanding player in the East Division, 12 carries, 29 yards. Yeah. 2.4 yard average, and a long of eight yards. Yeah. I mean... The, the teams can't run against the Hamilton Tiger Cats. They just can't. So that takes away a huge dimension, obviously, of the offense. So um, looking forward to next week, if we can do that again, I think we'll be in pretty good shape. Like, Stanback played three games against the Ticats. Did he have 100 total rushing yards in three games? Like, I, maybe. Maybe he, he had an average of 35 yards. Again, you know what I mean? Like, for him to be the most outstanding player from the East, and I think deservedly so, given mostly injuries and, and ineffective play, mostly from the quarterback position, but I don't think he is by any means. This is not a Cody Fajardo situation for me. This is not a guy who is, by process of elimination, the only guy worthy of being the MOP, like Fajardo was with every quarterback getting hurt. It's like, well, he's the only guy that did that played most of the game, so he's the MOP. I think Stanback was excellent throughout most of the season, but his his kryptonite was Hamilton. Like, they, 2.4 yards per carry in the biggest game of the year for a guy who's going to, like, I mean, he's not going to win MLP, but he's going to, basically, he's the second best player, considered the sec- the best player in the division and second best player in the league this year. It was, it was, I, I, I'm at a loss for it. Like, it was so impressive how they just completely shut him down. Now, a lot of that also had to do with the fact that they're down 20 to 3 at halftime. And therefore can't really run the ball that much they're forced to throw. And that's why kind of Harris's numbers, like you look at him at the end of the game and you go, okay, 64% completion percentage, 364 yards, a touchdown, a pick. Well, that's pretty good, but it's, it's a lot of empty numbers, right? Like a lot of that came when the game was, 
I mean, I won't say decided because 20 to 3 at halftime is not exactly decided in the CFL, but with way, the way the Ticats, like, let me ask you this. Going into halftime, especially when they when they get two field goals in the last, like, minute and five seconds or something because of, again, creating turnovers, did you think that they would blow it in the second half? Like, did you see 20 to 3 and saw how this defense was playing and go, oh, this is over? Because I did. Yeah, I wasn't too worried. Uh, I, you know, I wasn't. Uh, like I, I didn't think for sure we we're going to win this game, but I was like 95%, you know, sure that they would pull this off. Uh, the offense hadn't impressed me in the first half. So I thought maybe they could rack up, you know, some points, make it close, but yeah, the defense was just too strong in this one. And I think we have to give a shout out to the secondary and especially Tunde mm-hmm. Delake and Stavros Katsantonis, who both on very little notice were thrust into either different positions or the starting line. Could you imagine being a fourth-round rookie and, hey, kids, your first start, East semifinal in your first year? Like, for Katzentonis to do that and not look out of place at all and get his first career interception on top of it was super impressive. And Adelike, oh, hey, um, we lost Leontay Evans, who's our field-side uh, halfback. We're going to move you from safety. You're, you're going to play a position you've never played before. And what does he do? Leads the team in tackles. Has the big pass knocked down at the end of the game that essentially sealed the win is like, that's just, I don't even know what to say. Like I I saw that he was hurt. Evans was hurt before I left to go to the game. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Oh man, Jake Winicky, Gino Lewis, this Trevor Harris, first playoff game. I'm a little worried. Like I thought that was, and didn't miss a beat. Didn't, didn't matter in the bit. These two guys just stepped up and it was, it was really impressive. Yeah, these two uh, two Canadian kids really yep. did a great job, and uh, Casantotis comes in. You know, he hasn't played much at all this season. Um, we haven't needed to put him in there, but yeah, he did. A, he did a great job, and so did Delicate. I'm sure it's not easy switching from safety to halfback or cornerback, which everyone you said. I'm not sure, but um, I'm sure that's a big change. You know, safety you don't get as much action. You're you know you're back. You know, protecting. The deep ball, basically. Um, so, yeah, I, I was worried as well, and I thought that, ugh, you know, a rookie coming in, delicate switching positions, this is going to, this might be a long day. Mm-hmm. But I think also um, the defensive line did, uh, you know, they did them a favor by the way they played as well. For sure. Made life a little easier when you're sacking yes. the quarterback six times and in his face for three quarters of the game. So, I mean, even in the first quarter when, when the Owls marched down and got the opening field goal, it was aided by two Dylan Wynn penalties. Like, he had two yeah. low hits on the two quarterback. 15 yarders. Two 15 yarders. Exactly. Two 15-yard low hits on, like, roughing the passer calls, which were legitimate. Like, I'm in the stands, and you see him, and you're kind of like, oh, I wish that wasn't a flag. But later in the, later in the game, uh, I think it was on the Don Jackson touchdown drive, um, the Owls got a similar call when they hit Mazzoli low. So at least if you're going to call it, you call it both ways, I'm okay with it. I don't necessarily like that being a, a flag, but it is what it is. We take it. But they got 30 yards on those, and it came because the defense was getting pressure. Like, Wynn only hits the quarterback low because he had a chance to hit the quarterback. You know what I mean? So even on that drive where the Owls took, like, what felt like a billion minutes off the clock, the Ticats were still getting pressure. And then once they got the first fumble, I'm curious to your opinion on this, the first fumble recovery, the Julian Hauser one, was that the turning point in the game for you as well? Like, was that the yeah, moment absolutely. where you go, and especially when they scored the touchdown, 
mm-hmm. on the next play, you're like, oh, okay. If this keeps up, like I think we've we've seen the momentum switch here. Because yeah, I, I'm totally with you on that. Because before that, the Alouettes had the ball for most of the first quarter. Yeah. Um, and the Ticats went two and out. Uh, yeah, I think the Owls had it for almost 12 minutes in the first quarter. Yeah, so the defense wasn't playing too hot early on. Um, but <laughs> after that, it was just, uh, you know, it was easy pickings from there. It was just, uh, it was a big momentum shift, no doubt about it. And that came after the that weird penalty where I had to text you from the stands being like, what happened? Because they called the, there were two flags. One of them was no yards on the Alouettes and the other was, and they didn't announce it in the stadium. Like they announced the half end and they just said, they said 26 for Montreal. So I'm guessing that was the no yards flag. And then they, all you heard in the stands was 26 Montreal first down Alouettes. And we're all like, what the hell is going on? And then I texted you and you said, Oh, he ran over the center. And I'm like, okay, that's a flag. That's a 15 yard. But then I'm still like, why if there's two 15 yard penalties on the same play, don't they usually cancel each other out and you just replay the down? But then uh, someone mentioned to me, when I mentioned this on Twitter, someone's like, well, maybe because running into the center is an automatic first down, that mm-hmm. negates. Anyway, it came after, the fumble came after that. A penalty that would have taken the Owls off the field, would have given the Ticats good field position because they probably, I, if I recall correctly, fielded the punt around the 20, 25 yard line, tack on an extra 15 yards. You're looking at the 40-yard line at least to start a drive. You're down 3 nothing. Maybe you can make a little bit of a drive go. You can at least get a field goal. And then like three plays later, they get the, the, the sack fumble. And they score a touchdown on the, on the ensuing drive. It's the most fortuitous and maybe the best penalty in, in Ticats history because it <laughs> what happens if they get the ball? Like You know what I mean? Like yeah. You never want a penalty to be good, but this one kind of helped them out a little bit. Yeah, and it was so vital to score that touchdown too, because mm-hmm. if you come away with three on that uh, on that drive in such good field position, I don't think the you know you get that mojo as much, right? So um, for Mazzoli to hit that uh, pass that touchdown to Banks in the end zone was was massive for the team. And that was on Patrick Levels, which had to feel really good yes. after the guarantee. Um, and Speedy got in his face. What did they show on the? Because we we saw it from the stands. Did they show anything on the? On the television from uh, him after the touchdown, do you get right into him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were they were talking about it. He uh, he kind of ran by him and said something, and you know it went from there. But he looks like kind of a buffoon, eh? Patrick Levels, and I get it. You got to be confident in your team, but um, you know if you guarantee a win and you lose, <laughs> that's a tough one. That that is that's when you. Well, I mean, as long as he he stands by it and eats his words, mm-hmm. I got no I got no issues with it whatsoever. Um, I know Joe Monsanto's Knox, who barely tweets, tweeted after the game, like, talking's for the birds. There's levels yeah. to this shit. It was a pretty good dig. I got to be yeah. honest with you. Pretty good. Would have been a good rat player, quite honestly. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it was uh, – It was when, when I saw that, that he that he had burned levels, I was like, ooh, that's – it's almost like they went after him, right? Especially with Speedy because he called out Mazzoli and he called out Speedy and he called mm-hmm. out Don Jackson. Who scores for the Ticats? Mazzoli to Banks, Don Jackson rushing touchdown. How sweet it, it is. It kind of is kind of a little sweet, is it not? Yeah. And even, you know, Don Jackson didn't have a massive game. But uh, that run, you know, he fought his way yeah. into the end zone. And that's what Don Jackson does. Yeah. It, that's, I think, and we'll talk about that when we talk about the Arrows game. I think him in the lineup, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago when we talked about him playing the Arrows. I think that's the difference between 
what the Ticats will do and what they what they weren't able to do a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, sticking with the offense for a little bit, I guess we got to talk about it. They weren't very good. You mentioned it off the top that they, they didn't really do much. It was kind of a, pedest- a pedestrian outing from the offense. 206 total yards. Mazzoli was 18-28 for 184 yards and a touchdown. You mentioned Don Jackson. He had 13 carries for 46 yards, a long of nine, uh, and a touchdown. And Speedy B was the leading receiver with just 58 yards, but he also had the touchdown. So, I mean, the defense put the the offense in such good position, especially in that second quarter when they were scoring points points in bunches, that I guess that's why the yardage total was down. But this was, if there's a negative to look at from this game, it was the performance of the offense. It just, aside from that second quarter where they were very, very good, wasn't really much there all game. No, uh, a little bit disappointing. You know, it's uh, it doesn't matter now. They got the win. Mm-hmm. All that matters is the next game, and and uh, hopefully they perform better in the next one. But uh, yeah, it's a little disappointing. You know, the rushing numbers were were low. Um, there was uh, let's see here, fifty three yards rushing in total between Don Jackson, Mazzoli, and Poppy White. Um, Jeremiah didn't have his best game. Uh, he didn't have to, but he he wasn't. He wasn't the Mazzoli that we've seen uh, in the past that performed really, really well. Uh, you know, the, uh, the receivers, they did what they could, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you said Banks led the team with 58 yards, which isn't, you know, eye-popping. Uh, Julian Acklin, or Jalen Acklin, Julian Acklin. <laughs> Jalen Acklin was uh, two yards behind with 56. So, I mean, yeah, it, it has to be better. Going forward, if we want to win a championship, I think, you know, the defense is phenomenal, but we can't lean on them completely. We need the offense to step up a bit. One area of the offense I will praise is that they didn't go away from the run, even though it wasn't working all that well. You know what I mean? Like they, Hmm. again, a lot of it was their nursing and lead. I get that. But Don Jackson getting 13 carries is... And they, it, he never really broke one, like I said, long of nine. And I'm pretty sure that was a touchdown run. Um, I like the fact that they, they kept at it a little bit, though, just because you, you we've seen in the past, you just see it with CFL teams in general, when the run's not working, they go away from it and they throw like 50 passes. I was It was refreshing to see them still stick with it, even though it wasn't necessarily getting the big chunks that we're used to when a guy like Don Jackson's in there. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, hopefully they they ramp it up even more because I think that the Alouettes, you know, in the middle there, they have uh, Amando Sewell mm-hmm. and and someone else. That's that's really good. That's you know slipping my mind right now, but uh, I I think that they have a better run defense than the Argonauts. So um, I'm gonna cut them a little slack on the run game. Uh, they didn't rack up a bunch of yards, but but you're right, they didn't. You know, they didn't get scared and run away from it either. I think it's only fair when we talk about the game, the last thing we talk about before we give away our Player of the Week award, is we always talk about the kicking game when it doesn't do well. So I think it's only fair that we talk about it when our kicker, Michael Domagala, goes perfect. Three for three on field goals, two for two on extra points. I'm not going to say too much about it, but I just think it's fair that we give him a shout-out on having a perfect day when we spent so much of the year worried mm-hmm. about the kicking game. I think it's only fair. Yeah, yeah, a long of 38. Um he had a good game, obviously. He was perfect, but still doesn't change the fact that I'll be nervous. Oh, yeah. I'm still, scared. I'm, still, I'm still scared shitless. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But yeah. got to give the guys due. When he when he plays like yep. that, you can't you can't not give him what he deserves. So no, good absolutely. game from him. Player of the week was tough this week, don't you think? 
Yeah, there was there was a couple standout guys on the defense uh, that we had a hard time picking between, but uh, we came up with the, with the guy. Yeah, we, uh, I think it's a first time winner, is it not? Uh, I would have to go back in the archives, but I think it is indeed. Um, we talked about Dylan Wynn, we talked about Jagger Davis and their numbers. Those two guys were absolutely outstanding, but we ended up going with Tunde Adelake, and the main reason was not just that he led the team in tackles. But that, on such short notice, he was forced to switch positions and play a position that, as far as I know, he has never played at the professional level. And he he was fantastic. He Yeah, they picked on him, and he gave up some catches. That's going to happen. That happens to the best of DBs, let alone guys who, uh, who are just playing the position for the first time. But he has the big pass breakup on what was essentially the Alouette's last-ditch effort to to turn the game into, and I think they were down 10 with, like, a little under two minutes left, third down. They go to a delicate. He knocks the pass down. Um, he was outstanding, and it's on such short notice. And it's a, it's so refreshing to see a guy, a Canadian at, at that, who we now know can play. We know he can play safety. We know he can play Sam linebacker. We know he can be a, a, a return man. Now you can add this to it. Man, it's going to be pretty expensive to keep him around, but it's going to be well worth the dollar spent, I think. Yeah, no kidding. They need to lock this guy up. Because if not, he's going to get a big contract somewhere else. You know, like you just mentioned, versatile uh, and more importantly, Canadian. Yeah. So um, that's everything in the CFL. And uh, he had a great game and he's well-deserving of the Podsky Player of the Week. For sure. All right, let's move on to talking about the other semifinal that took place on Sunday. This was a bit more of an exciting game. It, this was a weird game. With, like, So I'm, I'll, I'll admit, I'm watching this game and I'm simultaneously on my iPad watching the 49ers and the Vikings game. And at about the same time, both games just got stupid. Like, it was 14-14 San Francisco-Minnesota at halftime. And by the end of the third quarter, it was like 28 to, like, it was like 32. I don't know. It's just, touchdowns were happening over the place. And then you're watching the other game, and the quarterbacks are just throwing interceptions. Like, it felt like every other series was a pick. Like, yeah. what is it, John, I almost said John Moxley, because I, I think it's Jonathan Moxie, <laughs> had three interceptions yeah. in the first half, and then Ed Gainey had two for the Raiders. Yeah. It was, I think there were seven, seven total interceptions. It I, was I think, insane. Yeah. And then you have, like, the classic CFL finish, right? Like, down to the wire, the stamps are down by three, they kick a field goal to send it to overtime. Like, this was maybe the most entertaining game, especially because of the ending. You go to, you go to double overtime, it's going to be entertaining. But all those interceptions, like, this was a crazy game. This was a crazy game. And from the best quarterback that's ever lived, oh, Cody Fajardo. Oh, I, I mean, knew you would. I knew you were You don't want to hurt his feelings, you know? You, <laughs> you, you got to prop him up. Um, but, yeah, seven total interceptions, that's just why. Like, it wasn't, like, you know, it wasn't the cleanest offensive game that I've ever seen, obviously. But uh, it was entertaining. Yeah, that's for sure. It was a wild, crazy game. Um, do you think... Do you think Bo's still injured or something? Because he's throwing funny. It's like he's throwing sideways, you know, yeah. his sidearm and everything. And, um, you know, four interceptions, that's not like him. Um, and then Cody Vajardo is like three interceptions. It was just uh, it was a bad day for the quarterbacks in that game, but uh, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I do think Bo might still be injured, quite honestly. I think – or it's from that injury he suffered in 2019, and it's just – some guys just never – recover you know what I mean like as good as they may be and he was for a spell there the best no doubt about it 
maybe his his I, I, honest assistant say for a guy who's probably barely in his thirties, if he even is thirty, maybe mm-hmm. his time's up. Like, yeah, and uh, you know, I've never been the biggest fan of Bo. You know this. Uh, the people everyone that knows this. So, You've made no yeah. secret of that, sir. Yes, but you know, you you don't want a player, a good player like him, to be retiring in his early thirties. You know, there's still lots of football left in him if he if he's healthy. Uh, I'm just not sure he is. And, uh, you know, he already had a year off in 2020, and then he comes back and he's throwing sideways and or side-arming, and um, it just doesn't look like his normal throwing motion. Yeah, and he's sailing, like a lot of passes, were, he's sailing them over receivers' heads. Like a couple of those interceptions were because he overthrew receivers, right? So, yeah. The big story, though, outside of the game itself, though, was what happened going into halftime. Sean Lemon, we see it on camera, takes a swipe at Duke Williams, gets tossed. We later find out that, uh, allegedly, Williams spit on Sean Lemon. Um, I'm not here to say whether he did or he didn't, uh, but I have to say, we talked about Ryder's fans a little earlier. I have to kind of circle back on that. I've been a little disappointed in seeing Ryder fans defend Duke here when this happened with the Ticats and Cam Kelly was tossed from a game against Edmonton for spitting on... I'm not sure who he spit on, but he spit on someone from the Elks. I didn't see any Ticat. Now, maybe they're out there. I'm not, I don't follow every single Ticat fan on social media. But I didn't see anyone say, like, defend Kelly on this. Um, it was universal, unacceptable, disgusting. You can't be doing this. We gave him the business on the show. Mm. I haven't really seen that from Ryder fans. I've seen either silence, no, saying nothing from some of them. Or them saying, well, we can't really see, or watch the video, you don't see any spit. And it's like, well, go back and watch the Cam Kelly video. You don't see spit. You see him make a spitting motion. You don't see spit. What do you think? Like, I'm not going to say whether he did or he didn't do it. If someone says he got spit on, I lean towards taking their word on it. That's not really something you lie about, I don't think. Because if you do and it comes back on you, like, I think... If Lemon's lying about being spit on and that's what ends up being the case, like it didn't happen, I think that does that's just as vile and unacceptable as being spit on. Like you're kind of tarnishing this guy because you couldn't keep your cool. I don't know if anyone would do that. So I'm, I'm, I tend to lean towards I think he's telling the truth. Um, but I'm just – in seeing Ryder fans who are the first to go after other players on teams for, for stuff like this or – dirty play in general, like for Christ's sakes, I still hear about the Simone Lawrence thing. It's been almost three friggin' years. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just very disappointed to see them kind of back their guy here and, and, and not just say like, Oh, he's being accused of spitting. That's disgusting. Let's get it out of the game. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 I can, I can see that. And I, I don't know what to believe. I, I'm leaning in and it's just totally, um, a gut feeling that uh, Sean Lemon is making an excuse. I okay. think that he messed up. I think that he messed up huge. He's a veteran player that should know better. Uh, he got booted from the game, and someone asked him straight up. Just, you know, he didn't bring it up, apparently. I think it was, you know, one of the Stampeder reporters asked him if he got spit on. He said yes. And maybe that's just a way of justifying the stupid <clears throat> thing that he did. Um, and there's no pro- I have no proof. I don't know what happened for sure, but that's just that's just how I think it went down. I tend to side with Lemon too, though, because I think it was Moxie doing the halftime interview mentioned that Lemon got spit on. 
Like, so mm-hmm. is it, it, would you, would you involve like your entire team in some sort of, you know what I mean? Like, it just feels like if it, like your teammates are probably mad at you for getting tossed from the game. I don't know if they'd necessarily be like, well, we're going to back them publicly on this. Right. I didn't know about the uh, Moxie. Comment, yeah. That's, so, I'm pretty oh. sure he said something at halftime. Cause that's where I didn't hear. Okay. I heard about it. It just started to fill on the Twitter timeline, you know? So that's yeah. again, again, we don't know. Like, I'm, and the thing is, CFL dishes out fines later in the week. If there's no evidence, like I, I'm not, I'm not going to say if Duke doesn't get fined, he's innocent. That's not how this works. If there's no evidence of it, they can't find the guy. But if he does get fined, there's going to be a lot of Ryder fans eating their words. I think. Yeah, if he does get fined, then there must be some kind of proof because mm-hmm. you just can't go by one player's word who had a, you know. Uh, temper tantrum and uh, got kicked from the game, which is, you know, he's their, probably their best pass rusher or one of them. He's one of them. That was for a, sure. probably a big blow to the Calgary Stampeders. So, um, yeah, it's just a unfortunate situation all around. Yeah, it really was. Let's talk about something more fun. Let's talk about the player awards. Uh, two tie cats, Simone Lawrence, Brandon Revenberg, were both nominated for the East Division Most Outstanding Defensive Player and Most Outstanding Offensive Lineman, respectively. Uh, Simone will be going up against another Blue Bomber, same as last time. This time, though, it's Adam Big Hill. And Revenberg will be going up the same player that Chris Van Zyl beat for the award in 2019 in Stanley Bryant. As much as I'd love to see both of these guys win, I don't think they will. What about you? Yeah, I don't think so either. Maybe, like, I could lean. If I had to pick one, I'd say Simone would probably get the win. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Brandon Revenberg... Uh, you know, early on, I thought that he was getting beat up a little bit on the offensive line, but you know, what the hell do I know? I guess the, <laughs> the people that vote on these things would know more than I would. Right. So, um, but yeah, if I had to pick one, I think, <laughs> I don't know. If there's I had not, to pick one, I'd say Simone. There's not very many people that vote on these. It's very, I don't know. I think a lot, especially offensive line stuff. I, I tend to side with, uh, that being a reputation based award, but, uh, mm. yeah, I, I honestly, yeah, I, maybe I'd slightly Give, I, I think but, I think big. Yeah, Hill just, I, I don't see either of them winning. Though. Yeah, but like, if you have to, if, okay, but if okay, but if someone's put a gun to your head, said you got to pick yeah. one of them to win, you go with Simone. I think yeah. I'd go Revenberg just because I think oh he's Canadian, he's been nominated for this a few times. I just think because of how good Winnipeg's defense has been, to have someone not from Winnipeg win Defensive Player of the Year, I just think I just don't think it's it's possible. Quite honestly, and shout out to Big Hill that you know he's been around for a while and he's still at the top of his game, still, you know, one of the best defensive players in the league. So and it's funny because in 2019, people thought he was washed. Like, people, like, yeah. he was asked to take a pay cut. He did. And he comes back and has a, and he will win. And I think this will be maybe his third time winning this award. Um, yeah, pretty incredible. I think the Bombers are going to win a bunch of these, quite honestly. Um, if you want to go, uh, if you're interested, we can go through. Uh, Coach of the year is between Ryan Dinwiddie and Mike O'Shea. Most outstanding uh, special teams players between Devontae Dedman and Renee Paradis. Uh, most outstanding rookie is Jordan Williams from BC and Peter Nicastro from Toronto. Canadian is David Menard from the Alouettes and Bola Combo from the Lions. Uh, lineman and defensive player we both we already talked about. And MLP is Zach Caleros and William Stanback. Want to make predictions? Want to have some fun? Who do you think wins yeah, coach yeah, of the year? Who do you think we Dinwiddie or O'Shea? Uh, I got to go O'Shea. Really? Uh, I th- you know, Dinwiddie, um, you know, I, I guess that first-year coach, 9-5 and five record, 
Um, according to the mayor of Toronto, the most wins in, in Toronto. Yeah, I saw history. that record record. Nine I wins? think he missed a letter in there, a record of, Oh, that um, makes sense. That would maybe, make sense. Maybe that's what I was thinking. Cause the guy used to be the freaking, he was a commissioner. <laughs> yeah, I can't, yeah. I can't imagine he thinks nine wins is the record for most wins in the season. No. And he was, he might've been the commissioner when they had those 15 win or 15 win seasons. Uh, I think Flutie, he was, he was either. Yeah. I think he might've been interim commissioner when they had the, yeah, yeah. I, so no, I, I can't, I can't him see him making over. that mistake. No, me neither. But uh, I don't know. Mike O'Shea just, you know, he wins the Grey Cup in 2019. Some people thought that the Bombers would fall off, including myself. Um, and they had the best record in the league. So I think it's going to be Mike O'Shea. But I could see why people would vote for Dinwiddie. I think it's going to be Dinwiddie just because, like you said, first-year coach. I don't – like, I think if, if the Bombers would have gone 13-1, and O'Shea gets it hands down. Maybe even twelve and two, but they did have those two losses in I know meaningless games. I don't know. I just the league's doing their best to kind of prop up the Argos. I think, and I mean, I don't think a coach of the year award's going to do much, but That's, uh, bring out the fans. Yeah, exactly. Come see the coach of the year. Um, yeah. I don't know. It just feels like it, it, nine wins in a, in a first year feels like uh, feels feels like where we where we're going to go. Um, special teams player. This is this is Deadman, right? Like no no way Paradis beats him. Yeah, I was going to, I, yeah, I would pick Deadman. I mean, he's just, uh, you know, he really impressed me this year. I pre- he impressed everybody. Every time he touched the ball, you know, it seems like he could do something with it. So um, I wasn't on the Deadman hype train uh, early on in the season. You know, I thought, oh, yeah, he's good, but he's not great. But then he kept doing it and kept doing it and kept doing it game after game after game. So I think Deadman just for, you know, the flashiness, you know, it's more exciting the returns in a, than a kicker. Paul Lapolice knows more about football, has forgotten more about football than I'll ever know. If he doesn't, if he pulls a Kent Austin here and doesn't find a way to turn Devontae Dedman into his star receiver, he's an idiot. Yep. The, he, Dedman could be the next Brandon Banks. And I don't think. Yeah, we've seen that. it time after time after time. These speedy receivers, uh, these fast receivers. They get open, man. They just get open. Yep. And unless they can't catch the ball, um, you're going to have some options, you know, using guys like Deadman, guys like Brandon Banks. Um, Chad Owens like, was, a uh, ret- was a return man that became a receiver. Um, guys like Lucky Whitehead. You Lucky know? Whitehead, yep. I don't understand. Like, get fast receivers in this game because they're going to they're gonna do great things. And, uh, you know, I know that there's a place for the bigger <laughs> receivers, the taller receivers. Uh, in the red zone and all that great stuff. But um, if you want to go deep, you know, get a smaller, fast receiver. Look at Hamilton, Poppy White, yeah. Tim White, and Brandon Banks. Like, Think and, of the production and, we had when June Jones was the coach. Yep. And we had Jalen Sanders and Brandon Banks and all these fast, smaller receivers. I think it's a, a winning formula in the CFL. I agree. Okay, uh, top rookie. This is this is always hard. you got a linebacker going up against an offensive lineman. I. I, I honestly, I gotta be honest. I didn't watch a ton of BC Lions games because they're always on super late, and I don't mm-hmm. stay. I can't. I'm not. I'm not a young man anymore. I can't stay up to one o'clock in the morning, uh, all that often. You're almost a man, Josh. I'm you're almost. one year away from being officially a man. Yeah, well, we, we, we don't. Right? Yeah, we don't have to talk about that. But uh, <laughs> what do you, I, I'll go with Williams. I think it. This he's going to have stats to back up what he did versus uh, a guy playing offensive line. So if yeah. you if you gun to my head, I'll, I'll take Jordan Williams. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Um, Canadian's a, a funny one. 
Because David Menard was voted the top Canadian in the East, and I don't think he started any games for Montreal. So, <laughs> and I still think he's going to win. I think what he did, I, I think there was a game, it might have even been against Hamilton, where he went in as an offensive lineman when, when the Owls were out of offensive linemen and didn't look out of place. I think that's going to be something that's going to resonate with voters. I think Bola Combo probably, again, BC Lions, didn't watch a ton of BC Lions games. Um, but I'm going to go Dark Horse and go David Menard on this one. I think Lacombo is probably the favorite, but I think Menard mm. might take it. Yeah, I'm going to go, I'm going to go opposite. I'm going to go Lacombo. Yeah. I think that, uh, you know, he's, I think he finally came into his game uh, this year. There's been a lot of hype around him. He was in the NFL for a couple of years, I believe. Um, yeah, I think he went to Oregon too, which is a, a, mm. think of a school that produces CFL guys, eh? Yeah, that just, you know, on the Ticats uh, as well. So, um, a lot of ducks around the CFL, uh, and not not the one in Ottawa. Um, <laughs> Thankfully, yeah, uh, but yeah, Bolo Combo, you know, high expectations when he when he uh, started his professional career, and uh, I think this is this was the year that he finally came into his own. Cool, cool. Okay, we both think Bryant, we both think Big Hill, so we don't really have to discuss those anymore. Mm-hmm. It's Zach Clare. Like, there's no way Zach Clare doesn't win MLP, right? Yeah, I can't see William Standback. Um, taking this award, Zach Claris, you know, he, he didn't have uh, the greatest MOP season of all time, but for a lack of competition, I think that uh, Zach will take this one. It's also hard with the numbers because of the four fewer games. Like mm-hmm. he led the league in passing touchdowns with 20, which you're like, well, that's not very many. And then it's like, well, maybe he would have thrown 25, 26. And even that's not very many, but it would have led the league. He didn't lead the league in passing, but he, I think he was second. Like it's just, it, To me, it's just weird. And I don't feel like this year there was any dominating, outstanding player. I think we saw a lot of outstanding performances. Like I think Caleros had maybe one or two 300-yard passing games. Like could you imagine an MOP quarterback five years ago, ten years ago, having that? It's like, oh, he was the MOP and he never threw – like he barely threw for 300 yards in a game. I think mm-hmm. I think, but I think a lot of it does have to do with the season. You know what I mean? Like it just wasn't. Uh, and I don't, I don't, I hate picking on the CFL. It wasn't an outstanding season, so the awards are like we saw some outstanding play. I think Winnipeg's defense was awesome. Hamilton's defense was awesome. Um, we saw some individual performances. Deadman was basically the only reason to watch Red Blacks football this year. Um, but when it comes to like gauging. And grading like this year's crop of like even MOP, even out of all the nine teams, the MOP candidates, it wasn't a bunch where you're gonna like, oh, you're gonna look back on the 2021 season and go, oh, remember this? Like, I don't even mm-hmm. think this this wasn't even Claris's best season as a pro. Like the 2015 season with the Ticats where he got hurt, that was the that was his best year, um, and he would have won MOP that year too. But he's he's gonna get the one he he's gonna get the one this year that he should have got six years ago. So it's nice to see him recognized and. Uh, I mean, he stayed healthy for the full season, so, and which is a good thing because he's he's fun yeah. to watch. Yeah, he's uh, he's a really good quarterback, and you know, you mentioned the touchdown passes, and you just don't see numbers like you used to. No, um, with touchdown passes, and you see so many touchdowns from the one yard line. Mm-hmm. What's up with that? It's crazy. I don't know. Like, it's so strange. Um, like most years, the, the guy that leads the league in rushing touchdowns is some team's backup quarterback. Like I think James Franklin led the league. In rushing touchdowns in 2019 right. with like 14, because he gets those one-yard punches. Yeah, and with the big end zones, you'd think that there'd be more touchdown passes, but 
you know, so many times uh, people get tackled at the one yard line and it's just a QB plunge, but that's just the way it's been, I guess, for the last, for the last couple of years, really. Well, I've noticed how, it for a while. Yeah. Well, how many times do you ever recall seeing a second and one or second and second and one or less third and one or less where it's anything but a QB plunge? Like mm. I remember, and it stands out to me because it's, it, it it's so rare there was a tie cats game here. I think it was 2011. I think the Cats were playing the Stamps. Maybe it was 2010. It was it was I don't know, it was in that it was in the Belfay era. And Adam Trafalis was the third string quarterback came in for the what you call the plop on a third down. And instead, faked it, went back and threw a bomb to Arlan Bruce for a touchdown that won the game. Um you don't see that anymore. You see like no. coaches seem to be so risk averse that it's making the game a little boring, quite honestly. Like, why yeah, not? And we talked about it with our first coach. In, you have first and goal from the one. Why not spread him out and throw the ball? Why do you have to do the one-yard plunge? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do know what you mean. And it's like, it's frustrating because there's not aggressive coaches, it seems, mm-hmm. in the CFL anymore. Everyone's so worried about not making it. Um, and they, it didn't used to be like that. Like, you used to see the fake handoff and the the backfield and then going deep you know we i saw it a couple times this year but only a couple so yeah they uh, the coaches are way too conservative in my opinion um i know that they don't care um about the entertainment value all they care about is winning and keeping their jobs and i don't blame them for that um but it would be nice to get uh you know a little more aggressive in the coaching ranks that's got to be it though right like it's a fear of being fired like Mm -hmm. there's The coaches don't get years to turn things around anymore. Like no. there were people, co- I, I saw it, Mike, I saw it. People about mid season this year were calling for the Ticats to fire Orlando Steinhauer. Mm-hmm. Like, are you kidding me? He's, he's what? 23 and eight or 23 and nine in his career as a head coach. He's been to a gray cup. He's been to back to back East finals. Um, he was the coach of the year a season ago and people are already calling like what like th- are people just that impatient these days that like the tie cats yeah. and, and i was i was going to bring this up last week and i completely forgot you know this is the first time the tie cats have finished back-to-back seasons with a winning record since 98 99 and we're throwing the coach away we're saying he should be mm-hmm. fired because we don't like the decision he made at quarterback or because they lost a couple of games you thought they should have won like is, is that mind-boggling to anyone but me like, are you no, it's mind boggling. He's like the next great. He's already a great coach, but he's the, he's a young guy. He's coming up. Uh, he's going to be a great coach for many, many years. It would be a mistake to let him go. And not to say that he hasn't annoyed me with some of his decisions this season. Mm-hmm. I haven't agreed with every single you know decision he's made, but um, to want to fire him is just that that goes way too far. It's asinine. It's uh, yeah. it just speaks to the impatience of people. I think. Mm-hmm. All right, they let's move on. Uh, instant gratification these days, right? For sure, for sure. Let's move on. Uh, we're going to get into a, a deeper dive into the Eastern Final, but I do want to touch on the West Final before we get into that. Riders and Bombers. So the two conference finals, Riders, Bombers, Ticats, Argos, mm-hmm. you really couldn't ask for much better for the CF. Like I think the only thing that could have been better is like maybe if the West Final was Edmonton-Calgary. Like You have two of the three biggest rivalries in the game with – a shot to go to the Grey Cup on the line. Like this is, this is fandom porn, is it not? Yeah, I, I tweeted it out that it's a it's a beautiful thing, you know, having these rivalry games in the East and West final, 
And I think that Saskatchewan Winnipeg game is the ratings are going to be through the roof for that one. Yeah. Um, everybody will be watching in those two provinces. Um, and even the Toronto Hamilton game, I think that that brings out viewers as well. Um, that Ontario rivalry, um, like the oldest rivalry in pro sports in North America, basically. So, uh, yeah, I, I love the matchups. I really do. I think that we're going to have, well, hopefully the first game, we just, you know, Hamilton beats the crap out of the Argonauts. And yeah, we don't 52 have to worry about victory, it, but, and we don't have anything to worry about. I agree. But that second yeah. game, hopefully it's a slugfest. Yeah, you know, you got the the storyline from the 2019 West Final with the, the last pass of the game going off the upright, and, you know, the Riders want revenge, and it, it's going to be a lot of fun. What what are you thinking going into the game? It's like I've seen a lot of people just say this is fait accompli for, for Winnipeg and that they're going to win the whole thing, and it's... It, it, no. It, there's no. I've seen some people say there's no chance the Riders can win this game, and all I think of is there was no chance the Red Blacks would beat the Stampeders in the Grey Cup. There was no mm-hmm. chance that the Argos would beat the Stampeders in the Grey Cup. There was no chance that the Bombers would beat the Ticats in the Grey Cup. Well, all those no chances happened. So, what do you think? I, I think I'm signing. I think I'm leaning Riders here. I don't know why, but I just feel like Winnipeg, the teams that have no adversity during a season and quite frankly the Bombers lost one game all year where they were actually playing to win if you will it was against the Argos in like week three or week four those teams I find when they get into it's going to be obviously very cold in Winnipeg the Riders are coming off a like they're pumped from a coming off of a playoff win I think the Riders could do to the Bombers what the Bombers did to the Riders a year or I guess now two years ago I, I, I don't know why. It's a gut feeling. But, I mean, I had a gut feeling the Stamps would beat the Riders, and that proved wrong. So, maybe my gut's stupid. Yeah, your gut sucks. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I don't think that, you know, the Bombers are going to run away with this one. I think that, you know, if Cody Vajardo has a game like he did against the Stampeders, oh, they're they, gonna get they the do have no, cho- no chance no. whatsoever. Um, but I think he'll have a better game. Um, you know, the Riders were one of the favorites coming into the season, and uh, the Bombers have had a lot of time off, you know, you could say that's a positive or you could say it's a negative rust versus rest, all that stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think the, the bombers are just going to run away with it. I think that this will be a tight game. Um, and it might come down to a, you know, a last second kick and, uh, Brett Lauder can miss it. And then it'll be all good. <laughs> no, I'd rather have him miss that one in the gray cup against the cats. Yes. And, and you know, if the cats play the riders in the gray cup, I mean, I'd rather that than Winnipeg, to be honest. Oh, and the storylines, if that was, but that we're getting ahead of ourselves. We're getting yeah, ahead of right, ourselves. Right, right. Yeah. Let's talk Let's Eastern. Think. Let's talk Eastern final. Enough, enough about the the undercard. We're talking the main mm-hmm. event in Toronto. First time these two teams met in the East Finals since 2013. Only the eighth time in history that these two teams have met in the Eastern Final. This is just the fourth meeting since 1983. Mike, I was not yet two years old. You were not born mm-hmm. yet. And that's also the last time the Argos beat the Ticats in an Eastern final. So you have never seen Toronto beat Hamilton to make it to a Grey Cup. The Ticats obviously won the last meeting in 2013, and the other one before that was uh, 1986. Ticats no, won the Grey yeah. Cup in 86. The Argos won in 83. The Ticats obviously lost in 2013. Um, the It might have been a two-game. Two it was. The 86 uh, was a two-game. Yes, it was. Oh, okay. It was a two-game yep. series. Um the fifth meeting of the season between these two teams. The Argos have won the last three. Ticats won on Labor Day. The Argos had a couple of one-point victories, and then they obviously blew them out to clinch the East Division a few weeks back. 
could you ask for anything more? I know we, I know I said, you know, it's, it's rivalry porn. It's, is there no, <clears throat> pardon me. The Ticats have, we thought they would be in this game. I didn't think the Argos would be. And I, if this was going to be the game, I thought that the host would be reversed. I thought this game would be here, obviously. But to get this game, the Ticats, the story of them finally, like, I know sports isn't movies and real life's not a movie. But they come off the, the best season in franchise history and they have the devastating loss in the championship game. That's that's part one. And then in part two, oh, things don't go so well. Oh, but they scratch and claw and they make it to where they need to. And who do they got to go up against? Oh, they're, they're big bad rivals from up, up the highway. They knock them off to come back home to compete for the championship. That's the stuff you make movies about, is it not? Yeah, I will say that the sports isn't a movie, but it is a TV show. And, uh, you know, it's, um, damn, I had a good thing to say. Oh! I forgot it. That's okay. That's, a, that's all right. Oh, yes, it's a reality TV show, and reality TV sucks. But <laughs> this, sports, is the best reality TV For of sure. all. For sure. By a country mile. Yeah, so, um, yeah, it's been a, it's a big, you know, they have had a good storyline coming into this one. You know, the, the Argonauts had the best of them in the regular season, but this is where it really matters, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I love seeing the Argonauts and the Tiger Cats play in the playoffs. It's, it's, it's uh, you know, they just get you going. Uh, and I thought it would be the Alouettes and the Tiger Cats at the start of the season in the East Final, but it did not turn out that way. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm pretty pumped for this one. Yeah, I think I, think I can probably count on one hand. The amount of times we've seen Ticats Argos in the playoffs because these two teams usually aren't good at the same time. Nope. Like when the and Argos are at their apex, was an absolute classic. 2013 is one of the best football games I've ever been to. Um, mm. It was, and I don't say this lightly, Henry Burris's greatest game as a Hamilton Tiger Cat. He took over that game in the in the second half and put on a master class of quarterbacking. They absolutely they were down I think 24-10 with like 2 minutes left in the first first half. They scored a touchdown right before halftime and then they completely obliterated them in the second half. If we can get a repeat of that, I mean maybe not going down 14 points in the in the first half, I could do without that on the old ticker. Um but I think that obviously there's going to be a ton of tie cap fans in attendance. Um it's going to feel maybe not like a home game, but I think a, a lot of the crowd is going to be behind Hamilton. But what do you think the Cats need to do in this game to secure the victory and head back home for the Grey Cup? Well, I'm going to say the same thing I said against uh, Montreal. I think if you get to McLeod, Bethel, Thompson, if the defensive line plays the way that they did against Montreal, against Toronto, um, you know, McLeod, Bethel, Thompson is up and down. We've talked about this before. He, he, He hasn't proven to me yet that he can be a legit starter in this league. And I know that the, you know, it's kind of funny saying that when the team is, you know, clinched first place and they had a nine and five record. Um, but he was up and down, up and down throughout the whole season. And which one's going to show up? So get to the quarterback. And I know that it's silly. I say this a lot and it's like, well, we're just repeating yourself, but it's true. Get to the quarterback and we'll be fine because you can't run on this defense. And and I do like uh, Foster and uh John White's out for the season, I think. But uh, DJ Foster is a really good running back, but uh, I just don't think he can get it done against this defense. Yeah, you got to disrupt their offense uh, defensively. If they put up 
75% of the performance. Like, I'm not expecting him to get six sacks and force four fumbles. You know what I mean? Like, that's... Mm-hmm. But the thing with McMagic is you hit him, you can make him throw early. You can make him throw off target. You can, He throws interceptions. Like, I think he led the league in picks. I'm going to look that up just so I don't sound like a complete buffoon. But, like, he had... A, like, they beat Ottawa in the game in Toronto, but they only beat him by, like, three. And he had, like, a complete meltdown where he had, like, three interceptions against the Red Blacks, like, of all teams. You know what I mean? Like... Yeah. Oh, no, I'm I'm way... Oh, well, he was tied for second. Bo actually led okay. the league in picks. Mm, Bo. Bo and Taylor Cornelius both threw 13. Fajardo and, and uh, McLeod Bethel-Thompson threw 11. So, I mean, people talk about Jeremiah Mazzoli turning the ball over too much. He had six picks. McLeod Bethel-Thompson almost doubled his interceptions, but, I mean, I, I don't have to defend Jeremiah Mazzoli anymore. Um, yeah, I think if you get in his face... Even if you don't get him down, if you can force him to throw off rhythm, if you can force him to, he will make mistakes. Like, right. He's yep. hot and cold. Because he's you a rhythm guy, right? Yes. He's a rhythm guy. He's a yes. pocket guy. Um, you mess that up and, you know, they're not going to have much to to go with. And I think if you shut down um, Eric Rogers in the red zone, that's a huge thing too because unless he's injured too. He's Is injured, he still... but I did I did hear that he might be back for this game. Okay, so yeah, um, I mean he's uh, he's a monster in the red zone. So you Just know, keep him take him zone. out, and uh, you know we should be good. I'm hoping. You know, you never know what's going to happen, but I believe in my heart of hearts that the Hamilton Tiger Cats are a better team than Toronto Argonauts, yeah. uh, pretty much in every single category. So I think they're going to win this one, and uh, I think it might be close, but uh, I think they have the goods to uh, take it to the Great Cup. I think these two teams are very evenly matched simply because if you look at the meetings they had this year, yes, the Argos won three of them, but there were two blowout wins, one by each team. And then the Argos won two games by one point. Like that's a bounce of a ball here. Like one, they literally won because the Ticats kicker missed an extra point. Well, not to say the Ticats would have won that game, but it would have gone to overtime and anything mm-hmm. could have happened. Right. So, and then the other one is they kicked a field goal with no time left on the clock to win by one. You know, after the Ticats drove the field and settled for a field goal from like inside the five, like yeah. these two teams are very evenly matched, and they've they've we've had we've seen blowouts. Both teams blow the other team out at home, and we've seen two close games in each other's house. So to me, this is not the Argos just because like they won one more game than Ticats did this year. I don't think the Argos are vastly superior to Hamilton, and I look at Hamilton and I just see, and maybe it's the trust factor in the veterans on this team. I trust them more than I trust the guys in the Argos. Like the Argos have some yeah. really talented players, but I know in like what happened in the East semi was the guys the Ticats pay the most money to stepped up and played the best. You got a good game from Jagarit Davis. You got a good game from Dylan Wynn. The entire defensive line that they pay a lot of money to completely shut down the run. Who scores the touchdowns? The free agent acquisition that they brought in two years ago the former MOP and the former MOP, like the, the key guys on this team are the guys that perform the biggest in the playoff game. Who are the key guys for the Argos that you're going to go? That's a guy that's going to take over a game because Brandon Banks can take over a game. Simone Lawrence can take over a game. That defensive line can take over a game. Who is it on the Argos that you look at and go, Oh, they'll take over a game. Enoch Mwamba, maybe, but mm. if I, I just look at the Ticats and yeah, maybe we're going to be, you know, eating our words next week when, when Toronto has won and, and gone under the Grey Cup. 
at no point this season did I think Toronto was a vastly superior team to Hamilton, regardless of what either their record showed. And I and I stand by that. Yeah, and I think you know the the status of Braylon Addison is going to be a big thing for this offense because yeah. the chemistry between Mazzoli and Addison is through the roof. We saw at the game that Addison went down with the injury. Uh, he caught like four or five passes in the first you know first quarter or something like that, and a huge bomb from Mazzoli. So. I think if he's back in this game, the offense is going to click because we got we got Braylon back, we got Don Jackson in the backfield, we have all the other go. weapons. So I think Addison is a huge, and I, I'm curious to know what's going on with him because you know, it, Lord knows we can't get any answers because right? no one covers the team anymore. Well, so. and even even when you do, no one ever talks. Like you get those injury reports that were supposed to clarify things, and it clarifies absolutely nothing. Okay. Um, you mentioned Don Jackson, and if you go back and listen to our preview of the most recent Argos Ticats game, we talked. We spent a lot of time talking about the Don Jackson effect. He had a couple of really good games coming off the the big game against Edmonton, and, and had a really good game against I think it was BC. Um, and I and we focused on him, and then he got hurt in practice and missed the game, and the Ticats didn't win. Don Jackson plays; it completely changes the offense for the Ticats. Mm-hmm. You cannot. Just, we're going to cover everybody. If you give him uh, a light box, he is going to destroy you. The Argos have not faced a Ticats team with Don Jackson in the lineup. He adds a completely different dimension to this offense that they are not prepared for, or they haven't had a chance to prepare for by actually playing him. They can obviously prepare for watching film. I'm not saying they're not going to watch film prepare for, but... Until you get him on the field, you don't know. And, And again, he wasn't great against Montreal, but he did enough that... You're like, okay, it's yeah. some, it's something different. And you mentioned Addison, and I completely forgot about getting. If you get Addison, we've I don't know if we've seen Braylon Addison and Don Jackson in the lineup together. I think Addison came out of the lineup and Jackson went in. Mm-hmm. Those two guys, with how this receiving core is playing, Tim White stepping up, Stephen Dunbar stepping up, Brandon Banks is maybe not MOP Brandon Banks, but he still garners a lot of respect. If this is a full complement offense. Going with the defense that they have, the Argos are in a lot of trouble. And I, I think Argo fans, as much as they would hate to admit it, would even admit that. If Hamilton is at full strength or as close to it as you can get at this point in the season, they're a very dangerous team. And I think it all circles around running the ball. They can do that. They can get this win. And we're we're talking next week, break up in the hammer, buddy. Yeah, exactly. And the thing was that you know Don Jackson didn't have massive numbers last week, but just – the threat mm-hmm. of him back there helps out the offense tremendously. Um, but yeah, you, you get back Addison, you got, you got Banks and Acklin and uh, Tim White, who's been incredible this year. You know, it, it's uh, adding him just makes it more dangerous. Yeah. It's uh, I feel confident. Do you feel confident going into this one? I don't feel, I don't feel yeah. overly confident. I, I don't get me wrong. I will not be surprised if Toronto wins this game. Not, not at all. I think mm-hmm. this is, it's an Eastern final and the Argos have, have earned home field. So they get the benefit of the doubt of, of that. I I mean, I think the bookmakers have made the Ticats two and a half point favorites. So Is that so? I was going to ask if the lines are right I yet. Think, I haven't seen it. I think okay. I saw someone tweet out that the Ticats, I think the Bombers were 10 point favorites and the Ticats were two and a half. Maybe I might take some of that 10 point action. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. Like 10 points. Like I think that's going to be a low scoring game. Lot. I think it's going to be yeah. like... Like you're, you're talking like 17, 15, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know, 10 points a lot in a playoff game. And um, if that, yeah. that is true that, that the Ticats are two and a half point favorites, that's a, that's a, that's that's a big vote of confidence well. for the books. 
That's a huge vote of confidence because yeah. a road favorite, you don't normally mm. see that in a playoff game. So I don't know if no. that's them not believing in the Argos, but these people set lines to make money. They don't set lines. They wouldn't mm-hmm. set this lines. They didn't think they were going to get action on both sides. So yeah. setting this uh, anyway, I, I either team can win this game. I'm not, I'm not. I'm not taking anything away from Toronto. I will not at all be shocked if at four o'clock Eastern, you and I are commiserating over a, uh, another tie cat season without a championship. But I also think it's just as equally possible that Hamilton goes in there with this with a, a seemingly healthy team and wins this game by double digits. I don't think they will, but I could see it happening. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think that, you know, Toronto finishing in first place, you know, they, they got first place, they deserved it, but there's a little bit of funny business going on there too. I don't think that they're, you know, a first place team. I just don't think that they're on that level. Um, so I have I have pretty high confidence that the Tiger Cats are going to go in there and, and win this game, but we shall see. Just an interesting tidbit that I wanted to throw out there. Do you realize this is the seventh time the Ticats have been in the East Final in the last 10 seasons? Wow, that's... That's pretty crazy, I mean, right? Yeah, if you would have told me that, you know, 20 years ago, that, uh, you know, in 10 years there will be seven East Finals for the Ticats, I would have been jumping around like a crazy person because the amount of failure and disappointment that we've endured as Ticat fans has been... Um, it's been a lot. So, yeah. yeah, 7 and 10 years is pretty darn good. Um, yeah, 2011, 13, 14, 15, uh, 18, 19. This is third in a row, too. Yeah. Like, we, I, I, I some, just have to get over the hump. We Josh. do have to get, over, have to get the over the hump. I agree. I agree. Getting to the East Final is not the goal ever. Mm-hmm. But like you said. But it's nice to be in it. Nice to be in it every year. It's, like, it's almost a rite of passage. The Ticats will be in the East Final. Like, no matter what their record is, they've gone as heavy favorites. They've gone as under 500. They've gone as, most of the time, at 500. But if you would have told 2007 me, don't worry, in four years, they start making a run of always getting to the second to last game of the year and sometimes winning again, I would have taken that. Like, Mm -hmm. we spent so much time focused on, and and yes, I understand, the lack of a championship. And I, I totally understand that. But the fact that for the last decade, this team has been a legitimate contender to win the championship. Like, the only other team that has been to seven conference finals or division finals in that time is Calgary. And Calgary has the rings on top of that that goes, oh, that's why Calgary is so good. But if I would have told you that Hamilton has the same amount of division finals appearances as the Stampeders, you would have been like, that can't be right. Because one team's been so dominantly good and the other team's kind of just hung around. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's the case. Pretty crazy, right? It is, and is, and you know, Calgary's been there a lot, but they should probably have more championships than they have. So, um, I mean, you know, you can't really throw stones being a tie cat. No, you know, no, they have not more at all. I mean, they, than we the do, Stamps but. should definitely have one less than they have, actually have, because yeah. 2014 should be ours. Um, but yeah, it's just. Well, I, it was an illegal block, though. Ah, yeah. No. <laughs> Let's not get no, into we're going full homer on this one. Not an illegal <laughs> okay. block. Shouldn't have, been, shouldn't have been flagged. Um,. Well, then fine. We should have the 2015 championship then. Okay. That fair? That's fair. <laughs> um, no, I just thought, I just thought when, I, when I saw it, I was – well, actually, what I did is I was looking – I was writing the piece for three down, and I was looking through. I was like, man, they've been to a lot of East Finals. And I was like, they've been to three in a row. And I was like, wait, they also went 20 – wait, how many have they been in? How many have they been to? And I was like, holy smokes. When they got good in 09, since then they've been to seven 
Now, they didn't go in 09 or 10. I started in 2011 because that's the first one we went to. Yeah, seven to 10 years, I was like, okay. Then I had to look, okay, how many have, have other teams been to? And then it was Calgary has been to seven. I think Edmonton was to six. So it's like, that's not that company. I'll, I'll, no. I'll take that. Like, again, it's not the ultimate goal, and no one gives you a medal for, for making the division finals. But throughout, throughout most of my 20s, the Ticats didn't matter essentially post-Labor Day. Like, they were so bad that it was like, all right, I'll watch the games. But, like, the NFL's back. College football's back. They're not number one on my mind. Essentially, since I hit my 30s, they've been always in the hunt. And I, I, it's been fun. I, yeah, yeah, we don't ultimately – maybe we get it this year. Hopefully we get it this year. But at least to cheer for a team to, – to, for the CFL to matter in Hamilton this late in the season, essentially every year, is not a bad thing. No, no, especially after you know the '90s, um, excluding the late '90s, of course, was just horrific. Um, and the early two, and the early 2000s were terrible. And the early 2000s, the one win yep. team, one in seventeen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, man, Toronto Hamilton uh, rivalry. Couldn't, couldn't ask for. Do you think more. it's gonna? Do, what do you think about the attendance? Not that it matters really, but do you think they'll hit twenty thousand? No, I don't. No, me neither. I, I, yeah. I, I don't. I think the TV ratings will be excellent. Um, yeah. I mean, the Ticats didn't sell out their playoff game. But the and they, semifinals are always a tough. The semifinals are anywhere. tough. Yeah, I agree. The sem- I, yeah. And people were, were harping on the Riders for not selling out their semifinal. And I think they only had like 24,000, which is not great for Saskatchewan. No. But you also got to remember there's the vaccine mandates in every stadium where if you're not double vaxxed and can show proof, you're not let in. So that has probably stopped you from going. There's also people who probably are like, I'm still not comfortable going into big crowds for the first part of the season. For me, I was like, I was going to soccer games and I was like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm a little yeah, uneasy because you, cause you're still, you're trying to get back to being normal. And you're like, I, I, and we've talked about this before. You and I both spent the entire pandemic working with the public you're mm-hmm. still, you're, I don't know about you. I'm, I'm, I'm over it now for the most part, but there's still always like a little part of me is like, can I trust the person next to me if I don't know them yeah, that they're doing exactly. the right thing? And then they do, they do the, the vaccine mandates and you gotta, you gotta show it's like, okay, like it eases a little bit of that. But I, but there's also people who still aren't comfortable. There's people who just refuse to get the vaccine so they can't go. And mm-hmm. then there's some people who are just like, well, I'm not showing, like, even if I have the vaccine, I'm not showing, which is, to me is kind of idiotic, but whatever. There, I think there's reasons for, I don't think we can judge attendance based on this season. I think if we no. see next season and it's still questionable when COVID's hopefully mostly a thing of the past, then I think we can get a little more worried, but no, I don't, Is I don't. This, uh, okay. We're, we're running a little late here. We are always just throw this out there real quick. <laughs> uh, Justin Dunkey uh, just recently said that he, he thinks that maybe the MLSC will throw the keys on the table with the Argonauts. Is this the last of the Argonauts? Is this their last game we'll ever see? How many times have you heard that? We hear it all the well, time. Dunk said it though. It's like you know, he's yeah, hundred uh, percent. I'm not. I'm not saying. Yeah, he says that. He's, but he said could happen. And even, but even if they do, some there's always. We've heard the Argos are dead. How many times? Now I also saw a thing that said, could the Argos be going to the XFL? So mm-hmm. are you tossing the keys on the table? And you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. We spend so much time talking about the downfall of the Argos that I'm. I'm just sick of it. Aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. It's been thirty. Plus, you had my whole life. Yeah, if it so. happens, it happens. We'll we'll figure it out. We'll move yeah. on and 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 we'll 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 figure something out. If it doesn't happen, then it's sure. again, 
I, I can't worry about then it. We can keep I mean? talk, then if it doesn't happen, then we can keep talking about it for another yeah, 30 Yeah, exactly. Years. We, right. Just like we do with Atlantic expansion, uh, mm-hmm. just like we do with uh, – I don't know. Every we can talk about Tim Tebow some more if you want, because we always every time he he's in the news, it's like, well, they come. There's literally a bet on boat. There was a bet on boat dog all season. Will Tim Tebow play in the CFL? The dude's been retired from football for like this season. Yeah, this season. Okay. When he got cut by the Jaguars in training camp, oh, it was see. there was a now it was like yes was like like no was like minus forty thousand. So it was Great. like you're making no money on it if you bet on no. Um, there's just, there's just certain things that we're always going to talk about. I don't know if, if it happens, it happens and we'll, we'll deal with it from there. I'm, I I can't worry about it. You know what I mean? I agree. I agree. If they lose their team out, it will suck, but we'll find a way to, to soldier on hopefully. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. So on that somber note, uh, we, (laughs) that was positive. That's my fault. That's okay. No, nothing wrong. Hey, we always the end of the episode is always you and I just rambling on about crap anyway. Yeah, so true. It, it, it's pops football related this we'll time. Yeah, yeah, we, you're right. We are running a, a tad late on this one. I haven't even eaten dinner yet, so I yeah, would like yeah. to go. So that was pods for you for this week. I'm Josh Smith, and I'm my Graham. Eat them raw. Eat them raw. Argos suck. <laughs> <laughs>